And we're live on Beat People Podcast 85. Uh, I'm B-Boy Tech, and I got my man Ken Flux Pierce. What's up, Ken? I exist. You exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. <laughs> now, so t- today we got on uh, Podcast 85, we got Chris Lodi and uh, uh, Evan Surchuk of mm-hmm. Sonic Wear uh, Live In, right? Is that the way I would say that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The company's called Sonic Wear, and then uh, yeah, the 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 line model of- line that we're looking for is yeah, the live in uh, groove boxes. No doubt. So we're talking about today, uh, you know, the Sonic Wear live in FM scent, and so yeah. Without further ado, let's get into it. Yo, hey, welcome, Kevin, Chris. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, no doubt. Um, let's see. So, yeah, yeah, someone's asking already. Uh, we're gonna be talking about the the (laughs) sample track. (laughs) Yeah, the 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 eight ounce uh, elephant in the room. Yeah, no doubt. doubt. So. um, yeah. well, let's just introduce you guys and introduce the company. So, Evan, want to introduce yourself and tell yeah, us your sh- background? Sure. Yeah. So, um, my name is Evan Surchuk. Um, I my musical journey started in um, in Ableton Live. Uh, a friend of mine who is a, a trap producer, uh, who is an FL Studio guy, just threw me a, a Ableton Live light disc that he got uh with an audio interface he's like i don't need this you know but i see you're (laughs) you're you're using some real rudimentary audio software so yeah he sent me uh he gave me the ableton live light let's see that was eight i think um and i just as soon as i opened that up i was like whoa using all the audio effect devices and i was like oh whoa this is this is real real deal um so yeah, I started making like Ableton effect racks and then um, came back to the Bay Area, which is where I'm from in California, and um, started kind of being able to go to the, to the NAM show through various contacts. And then um, I met Dr. Endo in the basement of NAM when it was just him and um, this guy, uh, Aaron, a wonderful guy who's a translator. He lives in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it was just him and the translator and a very rough version of our very first synth, which is the ELZ one, um, which is, let's see if I can grab it right here. That is this one, which is the ELZ one. That's yeah. like our, our flagship synth. Uh, the first mm-hmm. one that Dr. Endo, um, announced and, um, it's just, Essentially, it's portable, and um, it's got a whole bunch of different engines in it. Um, everything from kind of some granular type stuff to, you know, traditional waveforms, eight-bit waveforms, stuff where you're mixing, you know, half square wave, half saw wave, just a whole bunch of different algorithms. And um, yeah, a lot of the we've also back ported a lot of our algorithms from the live and units back into the ELZ one um, since it has a more powerful DSP engine. Um, But yeah, after the ELZ one, we started working on the live in series, 
which are these wonderful groove box type synths. Yeah. Um, and they have uh, sequencing and multi-tracking kind of built into them. The, the features change a little bit for each device, but the one we're looking at today is the XFM, um, which is a four, has a four-track sequencer built into it, 64 steps per track. Um, but I think the biggest idea for the XFM is that um, you can take one FM patch and smoothly morph it into another FM patch um, without like losing the pitch. So it's more of like a tamper, a timbre transformation mm. between one patch and the other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we'll kind of get more into that, but that's kind of the history of Sonicware. Um, and then we, so the company is led by Dr. Yu Endo and mm-hmm. he's based in Japan. So basically this is all his brainchild with some of, uh, his other people that he's worked with for probably like 20 years in the audio industry. Um, doing contract work for other companies in Japan. So they kind of, although the comp, the company is relatively new, probably about four or five years old, um, their history and experience in like making sense and hardware goes well, like way back. But it's one of those classic, you know, Japanese co- company type situations where it's like, the the credits are always a little murky, you of know, course, like on, cool. all, on old arcade machines. Are like, who made these sprites? And it's like, yeah, well, yeah. somebody in this team at this <laughs> company, like, it's, uh-huh. it's, uh, it's so it's, it's um, tough with those big companies, though, right? When there's big companies, you got a bunch of people doing a lot of work, and Ken and I have done a lot of digging on a lot of stuff like that from the '70s and '80s, and even had people mm-hmm. on the show. Where, you know, after a couple decades pass, you can kind of sift through and start to find out what was what and who was who. But yeah, we yeah. definitely know how that goes when you get a person on a team and doing a lot of work, but it's a big company, it's a team, and it, it's a big enough company to be a town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. one person's work can get lost in that, or, you know, yeah. group effort sort of deal. And so, yeah, so, and, and all right, let's, uh, Chris Lodi. Am I saying your last name right? Yeah, that's why I paused that's right, yeah. Okay, yes, good, good. it's nice. a pseudonym anyway. My real name is Chris Dodsworth, but that's like a bit of a mouthful. So I dropped that for the YouTube channel. So yeah, I, uh, I uh, welcome uh, to the show, man. Tell us a little bit very about much, yeah, glad, glad to be here. Yeah. So I I hopped on just doing sound design. Uh well at first Evan and I got just talking on I think it was Instagram just through the chat about a Yamaha RSY thirty five, which is like a FM synth slash rompler mm-hmm. that Yamaha used to make, and I used to have one. And we got chatting about that, and then I think I just went to look at what everyone was doing. I noticed he worked for Sonicware, and I'd, I'd heard about the the eight bit warps at that point, and uh, I think it had just launched. It came out actually during lockdown, didn't it? Is that right? The eight bit uh, so the eight bit warps we launched the Kickstarter at NAM twenty nineteen. Yeah. And then it took a while for it, you know, for us to fit, you know, polish it off. And yeah, it was right in the middle of the pandemic, which actually yeah. gave us a little extra time to yeah. add extra features while the hardware was slowed down. We we had extra time, but yeah. Nice. So you, you, um, you got one of those to me and I did some videos with it. And then we got chatting about the upcoming stuff and ended up doing a lot of the sound design for the XFM and then nice. just sort of. Just hanging around, <laughs> you can't get rid yeah. of. It. <laughs> yeah. So well, tell us about the, with the with the uh, 
the live in FM. So then, you know, I feel like it's a similar, it is a similar form factor to the previous one, but yeah. Um, and then, so, so that's kind of like a platform basically that you all have yeah. kind of built and, and built on is, is one of the goals to kind of keep things within reach from a financial perspective, because I do think you all cram a lot of functionality into these boxes and still keep the price, you know, reasonable. Yeah, that's definitely been kind of a goal for us in terms of like the price segment that we're going after um, is, yeah, keeping it affordable, but like just having a ridiculous amount of depth in terms of features. Um, and that's and... good because most people have a ridiculous amount of depth. <laughs> <laughs> that is good to keep those prices low. And yeah. still lots of features there. The next album, you know, debt in features. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just want to say I'm really glad that we. Um, I think it really worked out uh, bringing Chris on to do the sound design with the XFM because he has a deep history in the kind of Yamaha PSS line of of FM since the more what would be considered the more you know affordable consumer line of Yamaha FM. Yeah. And I remember when I was explaining to him, I was like, hey, you know, we're coming out with this new synth. It's going to be a four-op FM synth. And I could tell Chris Chris in the chat was just like, wait, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> like, no uh, That's super cool. So yeah. Alpha, tell, us, tell us about the – so one person is actually saying here about the, uh, the live and FM is uh, – Oh, I'm sorry. Is it the XFM? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry about that. So the live and no XFM. So this 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 uh, uh, comment is about it having four ops, and yeah. um, each can be modulated, and 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 or carrier. So one patch can be morphed from one to another, um, yeah. and that's sort of unique. So tell us a little bit about that. How that all kind of works out. Coming on the yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. Go for it. Um, yes. Yeah. So I think like the main idea, right, is if you've seen it like a DX7 or any like, you know, traditional FM synth, right? Mm -hmm. There's that little patch on there that shows all the different algorithms, right? And each algorithm is essentially just a, a, a pre-selected configuration of each operator feeding into each yeah. other. Yeah, and those different operator shapes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So maybe they're all in line, right? So each one is feeding into the next one or, you know, two of them are branched off and one is feeding back into itself, right? So a little bit of the challenge of uh, FM programming is, okay, before I even start programming anything, I need to think about how these operators are set up. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to, you know, make the timbre I want. Right, not going to be able to, and that can be challenging. Um, the difference is with the XFM, you can think of each operator, each of the four operators is interconnected to all the other operators. So kind of like a big spider's web, like mm -hmm. each one is connected to each other one. And then each one is also connected to itself. Okay. So wow. there is only one algorithm. Mm -hmm. um, and that's useful from a programming standpoint, right? Because the logic is a little, 
makes a little more sense. You can just say, oh, I want one to feed into two and two to feed into three and three to feed into four. Yeah, like you can set up that. Easy. Yeah, yeah, that's dope. Exactly. It's, that's it's, a unique approach to FM synthesis as well, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd never seen that before. <laughs> and I was like, Ooh. Yeah, approach to FM synthesis. Yeah. <laughs> you can, using that system, you can even set up like feedback routing between all four operators and get these crazy, crazy sounds going and stuff that's not even possible anywhere else. Wow. Yeah. Nice. And then yeah. obviously, but that idea led on to, was it which way around was it? Was it morphing idea came first and then? I can't remember what you said now. Yeah, so the morphing idea came first. They were thinking about, okay, how can we have FM patches? Because we were actually discussing this at, at NAM 2019. We were like, okay, we want to do an FM synth, but FM is hard. And it's really hard to make a synth that is FM and has that hands-on level of satisfaction yeah, yeah, that a subtractive synth does. <clears throat> No one has even tackled that until recent history, really trying to make an FM synth that's more hands-on and more program more comprehensively programmable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Pretty dope. So there's so, a question here, but but I'll, I'll wait till you till you finish. We'll leave it up. Oh here. no, I was just gonna say, like, as Chris was saying, like the the concept came first, and then the idea of having all the operators interconnected was like a solution to that. And it came with a lot of positive benefits in terms of programming and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the origin of that. Yeah, so we're using the, having the, the four operators being completely equal to each other and always connected together means you can then morph from one sound to another freely just by interpolating values in the memories. So <laughs> it's an incredibly clever system. Yeah, to, to answer Cresshead's question, uh, there are all the operators have negative and positive feedback. So when it's so when the feedback is set to the middle, uh, you have a pure sine wave. If you crank it to the left, you go through a sort of triangular shaped waves and into square. Mm. And then all the way around the other side, you go through triangular shaped waves up to saw, mm. and then noise at the top. So you've got completely variable uh, op shape operators on all four of them. So yeah, you can do anything from square to triangle to sign to saw to noise so <laughs> yeah you have got more than just sign and anywhere in between yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it says so you don't select an algorithm yeah. program. no there's no algorithm to select that's, if you that's pretty dope actually like yeah. i said it keeps it keeps saying all over that it's it's a very unique approach to yeah synthesis I found it incredibly refreshing because I did find that I've always found algorithms frustrating because you you may start on one path and then kind of change your mind halfway through programming your sound and then mm -hmm. you know you, you kind of screw you've got to start over <laughs> really you can kind of lose your way but this system means that you can just sort of find your way and end up wherever you want yeah, yeah. hey Ken what you what you got set up over there man Oh, I'm just I'm just having it up here so that people can see what we're talking about. But mm -hmm. yeah, like I have the overlay on here, which is really useful um, for if you want to essentially program the patch from scratch. Um, that's you. You would put this overlay on here and kind of construct it, and you can see, you know, uh, basically the layout of the of the you know the operators and carriers there, and and kind of construct it there. And then when you don't need that and you're just jamming, you have the the pretty blue faceplate, which is um, useful for 
changing between the different um realistically this would be your algorithms because it's it's changing what type of synthesis you're using on there between morphing uh from kind of one sound into the other and then yeah, yeah the x lab and xlfo and, and then the library is kind of like a um it's pcm based bank right of uh of sounds oh it's just it picks one uh, fm preset to play Mm. rather than morphing between any so it's still fm it's still all because you uh, do have the drum stuff in there as well yeah but they're all they're all um yeah programmed with fm as well oh are they it's, yeah there's right. no pcm sounds in it at all it's all completely oh, okay that's cool yeah yeah FM i would do, yeah they sound really good too so it, it fooled me because I, th I thought some <laughs> yeah, of them yeah. were, uh, i thought it was more pcm based for, for yeah, that um, particular it's, section it's great for programming drums it's one of my like I'm a big nerd for making drum sounds. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just to kind of um, give an idea real quick, like I'm just going to grab a, um, we'll grab a, a preset here and then just, like you can hear the drums in this, the, the kick right there. Everything from like the clap and the kick and all yeah. that, like, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive though. It's a very different programming style uh, on this than the um, than the previous live, and at least to me it was uh, mm. the the eight bit warps. I, I I love the eight bit warps. It's it's so much fun, um, and it, it took me a while to, to wrap my head around because I had to wrap my head around the fact that the the eight bit warps is so different because essentially it's like a live looper. It, it's it, you're mm -hmm. looping yeah. your tracks mm -hmm. as opposed to sequencing individual. Whereas on this one, mm -hmm. you are sequencing individual. And then, so it's like, you're, you're looking at it and it's same form factor and all, but the operation of how the sequencing works is, is a good bit different, but you still have all the parameter locking and all that good yeah. stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a pretty big difference in terms of workflow between the two. Um, and, uh, yeah, the I mean, it's like I think a lot of the decisions are about like, let's how can we stretch this box as much as possible? So, you know, if you get something like the 8 bit warps, the benefit of the having the looper built in is that um, you can have more resolution than the 16 step sequencer. Right. So like these units, they 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 don't have some secret back end that's actually recording at way higher resolution. Like these 16 steps, like that's the sequencer, you know, the you can't get any, you know, tighter than than that. So with the 8-bit warps, having the looper allows you to, OK, I'm just going to record in my, you know, my knob changes and stuff like that. So then effectively you're getting more resolution than the sequencer actually allows. Nice, nice. Although we can go up to, you can go up to 128 steps on a on a sequence on the eight bit warps, can't you? And then 64 mm -hmm. steps on the XFM. And yep. the tracks don't even have to be the same length. You can have some weird polymetric stuff going on if you set different tracks of different lengths. And yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's, and then, uh, that's what I kind of dig about the boxes is that they're kind of they're sleepers a bit. Like they are deep with the yeah, yeah. set. Um, and then, too, the, the price point may even make people think that it wouldn't have the type of feature set that, mm -hmm. it, that it does. So that's interesting. But, you know, I want to get into a video, uh, a Chris Lodi video here. Um, you want to intro it or you want to just play it and we can talk about it after? Oh, wait, yeah, there's a question. Yeah. 
Um, okay. Here, let's see. Power on the go, USB power bank capable. Uh, yeah, so it uses the same uh, power jack as the uh, Korg Volkas. Okay. So if you have any compatible, you know, I know there's um, the MyVolts uh, mm -hmm. power sources and stuff. The one thing I'd say is um, with the MyVolts, the rip cords, just be really careful to make sure you use the right one um because they all look the same except for the usb dongle like the screen printing on the usb dongle so there can be situations where people over voltage livens or we've all that happens actually a fair amount with the elz one is because it's just a barrel uh, a pretty common barrel so people over voltage it and and burn it out um so yeah just be careful with that um but the livens themselves they have um power via uh double a batteries so if you have just recharge double a or six double it, it's six it's six double a's i've got rechargeables in this unit right yeah. here like if if you're looking here this is being powered by battery right now and i use um i use these rechargeable batteries called a uh, power owl but they're just a brand that i found on amazon like i, I did a bunch of battery testing for the um uh the sm uh, hydrosynth explorer so when I was doing that, I was looking for like, okay, well, what's the batteries that have like the best battery life, cost, and amount of milliamp hours and all that good stuff. And that was kind of out of all my testing, that's what I found. But point being is, is that I put those batteries in this thing and they last like forever. <laughs> like, yeah. it, especially if you turn the, um, it has inbuilt speaker in it. If you turn the inbuilt speaker off and you're using headphones or something, you know, it's going to use even less power. But um yeah, I mean, these things are pretty pretty CPU efficient, so it's not like mm -hmm. you're using something that's really sapping energy fast. Yeah, so Chris Head was saying, yeah, it's a nine volt center positive is the uh, the power source. It doesn't have like a power over USB thing. Um, so yeah, the you know at this price point, the IOs uh, you know we're limited in terms of options for um, for IO um so yeah we just figured you know there's a lot of crossover between volca people maybe they already have uh you know they already have volca gear this way you know and there's all kinds of volca ones where it splits you know one power supply splits out like six power cables yeah. so this way we can just keep it all you can also system. get um you can also get adapters for guitar pedals uh for guitar pedal oh. like one spots that will invert the power and then that would work oh, for this as well. So uh, if you're doing that kind of thing, just you just got to invert because it's it's center positive in most guitar pedals, I believe, are uh, center negative on them. So with the exception of a few, I think some electro harmonics and whatnot have a different interesting. one. Interesting. Um, hey, Traversi, how's it going? Welcome. Yo, what's up, Traversi? I think she has an XFM as well. So, uh, let me, let me just show this real quick because, you know, if we're having questions about it, I might as well show it. Right. So this is the battery compartment here and there you go. So sweet. Yep. Easy, easy. None of that screwing, what's screwing the battery compartment. It's pretty lightweight too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, like couple ounces and it seems like it's less than a pound yeah yeah it's definitely less than a pound um 
Fine. But yeah, did we want to show uh, one of Chris's videos? Yeah, let's jump into one of the, the videos here. Uh, there. And give me a sec, I'll play this. So talk us so yeah, through to, what we had going on there. Yeah, I tried to sort of span as many features as I could in one <laughs> demo. So the right at the start, there's a, a sort of brass sound morphing into a string sound using the which which would it be the X form. So you can set a um, two different patches and then uh, a time that will slope gradually between those. Um, and then also. Um, so some drum sounds kicking, which is on another track. So I've got um, um, hi-hat hits programmed in. And then I think I've got a kick on another track, which is, again, they're all uh, FM sounds. And then I think of another track I've got just basically a, 
a waveform playing through the filter, which is uh, like a, a virtual analog filter that you've got on the main uh, sort of front area that you can tweak away. So you've got filter and um, cut off from resonance, uh, different filter types, and a basic little envelope for the for the filter as well. So you can do all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and the, the built-in effects, of course. So uh, there's a lots of different reverb and sort of delay types and distortions and things that you can use. So yeah. Nice. And did you, did you, and you, and the drums there were obviously from it. And you were saying those are not, uh, those are actually drums that are programmed with yeah. the, the FM voice. That's Out right. Yeah. So yeah. All FM drums, FM synth parts, and everything pre built. Yeah. And the clap and all that. Yeah. That's yeah. all the, all just, just the sort of algorithmic what sound. Kind of so you can on that thing. Sorry. What kind of filter? Do we know what kind of filter? It's a, it's a virtual analog filter, and that you've got low pass, uh, band pass, and high pass types. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Is it more of a ladder filter or some other style? I don't think it's ever been <laughs> ever been discussed. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, I, saw, I noticed it was getting some pretty good squelching on there, like yeah, squelching. So. Yeah, it just it can be pretty squelchy. It's like my kind of go-to thing when I'm testing out gear is like that's just a head towards acid <laughs> yeah <laughs> see how close i can get so yeah it's pretty uh, it's pretty good at that kind of stuff let's see yeah. so another question on it uh yeah. yeah so amazon doesn't include a ps like a power supply um if you we do ship directly so if you purchase it from um sonicware.jp um you are getting it like factory direct um and so you can there's an option to do it like buy it with the international power supply so it's got all the switchable heads so if you're based in the uk or based in asia or based in uh the us you'll be able to have the right um the right power supply for it uh, yeah so 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 Oh, one thing I wanted to point out that um, Chris was doing. So on one of the tracks, he had the drums yeah. sequenced out. Um, and the way that he's doing that is we have the parameter locking. So if you choose the library engine and then you parameter lock switching sounds, like switching uh, the different FM sounds, that's how you can create like multiple different drum hits on the same track. Um, and then the other thing he was doing was there's a sequencer mode um, called stutter. And what it does is it allows you to press down the steps, like specific steps on the sequencer. And then it, it arpeggiates between those steps. So that was allowing him to like kind of remix the drums uh, yeah. just by pressing the sequencer steps. So you got a uh, sort of live performance element there. And there's a... <laughs> And that's what you mean there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see. So when you're pressing the steps, it's actually repeating the steps within the front and a head. Or when you press a step, it loops from step one or whatever the, the first step is playing. Yeah, so it works like, a, like an arpeggiator. So the steps you press, it's going to cycle between those steps. That's dope, so it's pretty performable. Yeah, 
and it'll always um it doesn't like um then carry so if you press step 13 it doesn't carry on from step 13 it goes back to where it would have been if you weren't pressing stutter so yeah you can get these rolls and stuff going and it just carries on like it you know in time yeah if if anybody's used like the stutter edit vsts it's the same kind of logic where it just jumps back to where um it should have been and that was a feature that we only added because we had extra time during the pandemic waiting for the hardware to sort itself out so we we're like oh okay what you know we have this extra dev time what what can we spend it on yeah. and that's worked out because then it's come up through the different models yeah, and, and been a popular a, feature and it's in the bass and beats as well and it's it's really useful on the base and piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. So somebody said it powered there. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, th there's a cool function on there. Can you tell us a little bit about the capture function and how that plays into yeah. them? So you can say using the XLab, which is a a tool that you can use to morph between two pre uh, presets freely. So you can set two patches up. You can pull up. You can move a knob between anywhere between those two sounds and play it and use it in your in your song and and, and know what it sounds like if you if you like the sound that you've created you can then use the capture function to save that sound into another preset so it just creates a, a brand new preset because all you're doing when you're morphing between two sounds is you're just interpolating the values for all the operators and envelopes and everything that's in the deep edit so you when you create a new sound that's a brand new sound in its own slot that you can then use if you wanted to to morph into another sound so you can build up a library of sounds really easily just by morphing stuff it's quite a refreshing way of doing things yeah exactly so it's just yeah. a quick way to capture stuff and then and then you can kind of use them elsewhere and That's um right. the one of the aspects about about this layout and this is also the same for um for the other models uh, basically you have the shift button and then the function button and yeah. that the function is going to let you get to the secondary parameters of your keys here that's right. of, of really any of the buttons anything that's like mm -hmm. something that you would push and then the shift gets you secondary functions of all the knobs so you actually get a lot more onboard controls without having to do some sort of menu dive or anything on it that's which right is, which is nice yeah and like i thanks for like bringing up the capture function because I think for me, when I'm designing sounds on this or just messing around, like I, if I don't have the overlay or I'm just like not in the mood to build something from scratch, just like the idea of just designing FM patches intuitively, just with your ear and just thinking yeah. like, oh, I like how that sounds. Okay, cool. I'm going to capture that. Oh, I wish this sounded a little bit more like an FM e piano. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. just going to load this in the e piano patch and then see where that yeah. takes me. Um, and one of the things too, is that, um, so Chris was talking about how the values interpolate. So there is, um, one of the options on the different algorithms is color. So what color does is instead of having all the values linearly interpolate from one point to the other, you can have the different values kind of have different curves. So you're kind of, it it essentially allows you to like morph between two presets, but in a way that is not as predictable. So you'll see there's an option there for like a bunch of different colors. So that has an effect on, on how the morphing works. Um, so that allows you also to like get to different places that you wouldn't normally, and you could use this whole thing and like make a ton of sounds without ever doing like hardcore FM programming. 
Yeah. Like you could just morph and that's totally valid. <laughs> and you might even get stuff that you would never like think to do from scratch. Oh, yeah, I've done that still almost straight away. <laughs> You're like, oh, well, that's just, I've no idea how I've done that. <laughs> but I'm going to save it to a pizza. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. Um, well, cool. But you know what? Also, one of the, the, um, your latest announcement, does uh, anybody want to tell us about what the latest is? Go yeah. Ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, our latest uh, unit that we just uh, announced the Kickstarter for is called uh, uh, the Sample Trek. Um, it is a portable hardware sampler um, with really deep multi-tracking functions. Um, so it's got... Uh, eight tracks of sampler instruments and then it's got an additional four tracks of like global multi-tracking um and yeah so kind of the idea is that it's handheld it's portable it's battery operated um it's got really solid build quality um and you can go out into the world and record things either with the internal mic or you can record it with, um, if you have a dynamic microphone, uh, you can just plug it into the back. It's got enough gain. Um, and you can see right under that thumb there, uh, it also has <laughs> options for uh, like guitar and bass, like instrument uh, instrument level um, inputs. Um, yeah, it's just got a lot of stuff going on. It's got 15 drum pads that are velocity sensitive. Um, it's got USB, so you can connect it to your phone and it's like bi-directional. So you could connect it to your phone in order to like sample things from uh, like different apps or from, um, you know, yeah. So in that demo, they're kind of recording something from like a drum loop from SoundCloud. Uh, but you could record really, you know, if you have any music making apps that you want to sample in or a voicemail or, you know, that is that is that still a thing? People have interludes and albums that are just like yeah. voicemails. Totally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ever will go anywhere. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's the idea of the sample track. Um, all the samples are stereo. Um, the four global tracks are also stereo. Um, our goal is to have the audio stream from it's going to have uh, like built in memory, but we want to also be able to um, stream audio from the SD card. We're still kind of working that out because, you know, SD cards from 2005 are the same form factor as SD cards from now. And it's radically different in terms of speed. Um, so we kind of need to figure that out um, still. Uh, but the goal is to have uh, be able to stream from the SD card, which kind of opens up a really absurd amount of um, of possibilities in terms of record time. Um, so far, the maximum record length for a single sample is, I think, stereo in 180 minutes. Um, mm. The native sample rate in it is uh, 48K. Um, so that's, um, nice. yeah, that kind of somebody say that, uh, well, you just mentioned it and I heard somebody say the other day on the, on the group, on the FB group, the Facebook group, that it's a, uh, Digitac killer because it samples in stereo. So I won't speak to the killer of anything. Those, those <laughs> get mad crazy, but the fact that it samples in stereo and is 
this sort of uh, portable like this is pretty dope. Uh, so somebody's asking if it's 24 or 16. It is 16-bit linear. Um, yeah, I think that just about covers it. Oh, one of the cool things also is that, uh, so just to speak on like polyphony and stuff. Um, so of those eight tracks, um, four of them can be either drum tracks or instrument tracks. Um, so any combination of those two, as long as it adds up to four. And now those are polyphonic. Uh, so the drums and the instrument tracks are polyphonic. Uh, the other types of tracks are a looper track, um, which we're still kind of working out some of the details on it. And so if you're in the Facebook group, there'll be a post soon about exactly how the looper part of this works. Um, the one shots are just monophonic one shots. Um, those will, those are like stereo. Those can be stereo samples. Um, and then there's MIDI tracks. So theoretically, you could have eight tracks of MIDI and just use this as a MIDI, like as a sequencer, um, instead of, you know, using any of the samplers. So you could have this kind of be your brain, studio brain. Um, and then in terms of like how the sequencing works, it's a piano roll style system. So that's kind of where the d-pad and the you know a and b buttons come into play is that you can just get in there and sequence just using a uh, normal piano roll um which is right. you know what most people are used to for for most people right uh, oh this yeah we were saying before about the types of tracks that you that yeah. you have mm -hmm. loop track yes. shots track which is one track single one shot uh drum mm -hmm. track is that how's the how's the one shot track different than uh drum track uh so the drum track is polyphonic in the sense that like uh you can that's load up a whole kit cool. i got you I yeah got you. yeah so that's the idea for the drum track um i'm still getting more details about so mm -hmm. one of the things also is that this has um it has time stretching it's got auto slicing um so it's really got the tools in order for you to load up your own sample and like have it be like chopped sort of NPC style. Mm -hmm. um, and because you have so many pads, you could chop it across the, all, all the pads and really get yeah. quite a, quite a bit of like uh, granularity and um, like chop points. Um, Do you have control over things like sample rate and, um, and does that also affect like how much time you can sample and that sort of thing? Yeah, so I think we they haven't gone in the team in Japan hasn't gone into detail about whether or not there'll be different recording formats, like different sample rates and, and bit rates and stuff. Um so I can't like I can't speak on that too much just because I don't have the details. Um but we have with the with the uh, live in 8-bit warps, one of the effects in it is uh, like sample rate crushing effect. And uh, so it's something that is definitely like on their radar. And frankly, it was everybody at NAM 2019 that really made sure that the sample rate reduction would happen. It was like <laughs> you and all the other and Corey and Ken and all the other people, hip hop heads coming up and they're like, so, you know, can I yeah. lower the sample rate? Dirty, dirty, uh, dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
But does it do this? Like, it's explained a million things to us. We're like, great, good, 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 really good. That's actually great. That's excellent. However, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to see that this one has the screen on it and it's, um, you know, it's it's just that it's a for for a while now the the live and form factor has been there and and seeing this it's like I've just seen how many features get rolled into the live series and you're like I think the live came out at like one ninety nine originally is that right are they still at yep. that price point Yep, because I know a lot of things just keep rising with with the yeah. state of the world so it's you know. You the XFM know. might be a little more expensive on some websites. It's a little bit ridiculous, though, when you consider yeah. like all the all the functionality that's in there. It's not just, um, you know, like you you were comparing to like uh, Volca users and whatnot. And I've got some Volcas as well, but it's it's bigger. Like it, like form factor wise, like you can actually fit your hands on this thing and kind of like you know. If, you sit there and play it and, you know, not be like, you know, on, on a, you know, but all of the features of like parameter locking and morphing. And then, you know, on the, on the 8-bit warps, you've got, you know, these loopers, you've got delays and reverb and that kind of stuff. Like there's just a ton that's in there at that price point. So when I started seeing that, oh, this thing's going to have a screen. Oh, this thing's going to have this. Oh, it's got velocity. Like, you know, there's all these little things that you're, and we were talking about it. Uh, Corey and I were talking about it and I was like, I bet you it still comes out at like some absurdly low price point. And sure <laughs> enough, I, I see it. And I think it's like the Kickstarter right now is like two ninety nine, which is like, that's, that's wild. That is. Wild. Yeah. And yeah. Like that's crazy. Yeah, the current, let's see what it's saying now. Yeah, so the final retail price will be around like $430. Uh, but right now, the Kickstarter price is $290. Um, so for less than $100 more than Aliven, you're getting uh, quite a bit more uh, functionality. So mm -hmm. kind of like... <laughs> At this price point, I mean, it was the same that we were saying with when we kickstarted the Apeit Warps. It was just like, yeah, we're, we're probably never going to do this price again, you know. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Uh, but it's it's really like just from like a small company perspective, like some people like in forums and stuff are asking, well, you know what, you know, for if, if you're an established company, why are you doing a Kickstarter again? And the reality is, like, doing a Kickstarter like this, this is literally paying the wages of the entire team for the amount of time that it's going to take to develop this. And, like, a larger company like Yamaha, right, they have a ton of runway in terms of funds to, like, you know, finance themselves while they're developing something new. Whereas a smaller company, like we, yeah, we can sell a product and make money, but we have to make enough money to be, to have enough runway to make something new. So the idea of the Kickstarter is this, this allows us to like have literally the dev time to like make a product like this. And yeah. um, so we really appreciate everyone who like, you know, is willing to, you know, essentially like pre-order this item or to back it and to give us like the time to work on this like frankly yeah you know what one of the things that you make an interesting point it's a good point 
And I think Ken and I have made this point on the show so many times. Like, what is it that, you know, people have this perception of an established company, a big company, just because we, we these brands and our niche market of electronic music instruments, when you're good at branding, then people assume that it's, you know, every company is far, no, Roland is Roland. Not, not many other yeah. companies are Roland. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like a big three. And then everybody else are really intimate teams of folks that are making mm-hmm. things happen. You know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. and so that's the thing. Like what constitutes a big team? Like, or, or, or what constitutes an established brand? I think that's like, we should myth bust on them for that because here's the group right here. I have it up on the screen. And it's a small group. And, and you know, it starts with one guy with a vision and he has a couple key players there that uh, are part of the team in one way or another. But it doesn't necessarily mean that there's some uh, uh, big pool of investment money somewhere. And so when you kind of have perspective on what really constitutes uh, or makes for an established brand, doesn't necessarily mean there's, there's you know, we work cash laying around. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I think I wanna wanted to be sure to kind of clarify that for folks too. And anybody that references this video later, just to kind of let them know these are the, the times, this is the reason you want to support stuff like this. It's just you know the brand because you probably support the brand and they like the brand, but it doesn't necessarily mean uh that they're not still a small company that is going to extreme lengths to bring these dope products to the to market so i commend you guys and um so who tell us who we see the names but you want to is there anything you want to you want to yeah speak a little bit about the team here yeah sure so um dr yu endo he he's kind of the ceo of the company um he's worked for a lot of like larger audio companies in japan so sonicware uh, like we released the ELZ one, you know, pandemic adding pandemic years, uh, maybe about five or six years ago. Um, but he's got, you know, 20 plus years in the audio industry before, uh, like really starting to push like Sonic wears like independent brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, Ari Sudo, he is the, um, the VP sort of also CTO type role. Um, and he has uh, experience working for Zoom. Um, so you might notice that a lot of the features on this device, you know, have really strong kind of genes in multi-tracking. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for a background, like in Japan, they have like, they call like a multi-tracker an MTR. Okay. Um, and you... There's a long history of MTR, different like recording. Yeah, there's a long history of sort of fusions between drums, like drum machines and multi-track recordings. And if you go to like a thrift store in Japan, like electronics thrift store, it's just multi-tracker after multi-tracker after multi-tracker. Like, and every like smart media, floppy, CD, like. So they, those were a huge, huge market in Japan and, and around the world too, but especially in Japan. So a lot of the logic of multi-tracking, like one of the things that this does, right, it has these three global audio tracks in addition to the 10 tracks. So the three global ones are just straight up multi-tracker like tracks for playing guitar over or singing over like 
the whole song across all the scenes. And that has comping as you would experience that in Ableton, where you can do multiple takes of the same, you know, same time slice. And then you can, you know, chop that down into the, the perfect take. Um, so that's kind of where a lot of the like genetics from multi-tracker logic kind of comes from um, in this unit. So, yeah, I think that's, did I, I think I only got two of those people, but sure. me and Chris, we've already been introduced. And then there's um, Sato-san who is uh, like former at Korg and he's the one who kind of engineered the whole release and is doing a lot of the marketing with me um and uh yeah he's got a long history and you know how do you how do you present synthesizers and how do you pull in an audience um and clearly it's worked so uh yeah i think uh, yeah but i and you I all think, have a strong community too that you all built mm. so far yeah i mean we just had a uh we've mostly operated through facebook groups just because that's where everybody is um and we've had a really good community of folks like helping each other troubleshoot because i'm not gonna lie the live in units have a little bit of a different logic than other units sometimes mm -hmm. so there can be things that are a little bit quirky um just because we're a small company and the interface comes maybe some of the genetics of the design of it comes from a different place than people are used to um so having everybody in the facebook group and like you know we have new people come in all the time and they're like why is this turning on and off and i don't understand it's like oh yeah it's because you have the parameter locking turned on like that's what's happening yeah i will i will say yeah. that you know the with the xfm it I feel like it took me a, a good bit longer to wrap my head around, but Chris has done so many videos that you're like, and they're really in depth. It's like, yeah, the, the, the information is certainly there for you to, to kind of get your head wrapped around it, you know, and, and just spend a little time because it's different. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's, that's not a bad thing. That's just a, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you start, you start diving into it and you say, Oh, okay, this is why they did that because you can then do this, you know? So yeah, there's, there's some, there's some, there's some quirks in there, but they, they, they lead to interesting places. You know what I mean? Like a different workflow ends up leading you down a different path. Yeah. I've got a ton of, yeah. I've got a playlist somewhere of the, of the, um, all the live and tutorials. I'll share it. <laughs> cool. I'm going to chat, but, uh, do share and, and everybody be sure yeah. to go check out the, the, the playlist so you can dig yeah. in. Uh, but I want to also show this bit again. Go down here. There it is. There. For Sample Trek, the price point uh, bananas. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, get in. If you're going to support this thing, get in early. Yeah. And, you know, this is good stuff. Yeah. Well, one thing I actually really wanted to check in both with like Corey and Ken about was like, so we right have a certain mindset sort of coming from the multi-tracker kind of idea. And, and also like, you know, the Basin Beats was like our first dedicated drum machine. Mm -hmm. um, and so since we're jumping into sampling and I, I think Corey and Ken, both, both of your sort of background in terms of music making comes from like the MPC kind of sampler world. 
I was just curious, like what, what, first of all, what, what do you see your workflow being on a device like this? And then also like what things are critical to your workflow that you would want to make sure are like part of the feature set? Cause we're still like really listening. Let me, That's let me cool say a couple of quick things. I'm going to, I need to, I need to rapid fire some some yeah. really um fundamental things the first things that i'm going to say are things that everybody's going to be like well of course it should do that but i've been a part of teams where that stuff was not thought of and it drove me insane so i'll just say it first and foremost truncating you have to be able to truncate your sample don't let me have a, a long sample and then only be able to set start and end points and not actually truncate and get rid of hmm. the fluff you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Yeah. So space. truncating normalization, I got to be able to normalize. Uh, I want to be able to fade in, fade out, control loop direction. Uh, I want to have the ability to set a separate loop start and end point from what my start and end points are. Mm -hmm. um, in slicing, I like to be able to have the option of either linked slices, meaning, you know, the end of this slice is the start of this one and also disconnected slices where I can separate them. Um, that's the extremely that important as well. The, uh, I'm, I'm running through my head real quick. Just to, <laughs> these are things that are like instantly. I'm like, gotta cross have this stuff on, on chops. Crossfade. Uh, cross yeah, crossfading is 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 very nice to have, and if if not even crossfading, also just um, oh zero uh, zero crossing. Yeah, you gotta have zero crossing. You gotta have the ability to um, quickly grab a sample, get it straight to you set thresholds. Thresholds are important. So like, start recording after this threshold is reached. And then end recording once this threshold has reached, especially because it's it's going to be used a lot of the times in the field. So um, it, I, for me, I see this thing is I use like a, a Zoom H4n all the time and I love getting like found sounds. So for this, this would be like an instant found sound device where I want to take it outside with a mic and then record. Some, like I know it has an inbuilt mic, but I'd probably be plugging a mic into it because I like to just shove it inside of a tube or something, you know, and get weird sounds. Yeah. Um, but I want to be able to set like, you know, the threshold so that you're not hearing me pressing buttons on the device to start and stop it. That sort of thing. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. You, you know, for me, one of the things about samplers in general is I don't like too many steps. Why do we need all these extra steps for so many things? If I want to sample to a pad, Make it as simple as pressing a pad and sampling and it goes to the pad or make mm. it fewer steps to be able to do it. Or if you want to spread a, a loop that you've sliced, make it easy to go straight to the pad, uh, to the set of pads or to assign pads. Those kinds of things. Sometimes I think, um, well, and part of this is because some of the more well-known samplers come from this legacy where they tend to bring along things that were typical for the day. Uh, that they were brought to to market in, and then it becomes a memory and force of habit for everybody using them. And although they advanced the technology in many cases, sometimes you, you really, if you took an objective look at the thing, you would see we shouldn't have to do all those damn steps to get to this point. <laughs> or right, you right. get stuff with with some newer devices that are 
you know, maybe been updated. And then you get to things where it's like, well, yo, why can't I sequence this chop without going through extra extra steps? So I don't know what that workflow might be like, but mm. I think keeping in mind the idea to, to this uh, more immediate workflow, just getting straight to mm. it. If, if you're going to sample something, get it straight to the pads or make it easy enough to get straight to the pads and start sequencing. Because I think... Right. The, the idea is to focus more on the creativity than the utility. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Make all the utility very hey, quick. Let me let me add <laughs> something though. Um, so this this may may or may not be possible depending on like how the processor is and all that. But sampling while playing um, a sequence is a big one. Um, mm. If that's possible, that that makes my workflow. And which I, I think there's already a looper track. So I feel like that's probably already thought of, but like, that's, that's huge. Um, that's one of the things that for me in my workflow, especially if you have lots of other gear, it's like a lot of the times you want to, you want to sample, like, let's say I have a drum break, I throw that in there. And then I want to be able to play something on my keys or something over top of that and sample that right in. That kind of stuff is, is massive. Mm -hmm. But that's I mean, right. I feel like I have to, <laughs> So, so, so essentially, <laughs> so like you mean you want to be able to like have the sequence playing everything going and then also be able to record like something yeah. new over top of it, like live. Yeah. It, so onto so a new track or overdubbed onto something that already exists. Um, really, you could do it both, but preferably to a new track. Uh, so okay. like, let's say I have a blank track, right? And I have... A, a loop that's playing a sample loop that's already playing. I want to be able to go into my sampler and record into it, be it whatever I'm playing here or from a record or whatever it is, you know, if I'm scratching on my vinyl, whatever it is, I want to be able to get that while the, while everything's playing because I'm, I'm doing whatever I'm doing to that beat. Um, that that's super useful. And if, if it can only be done in like a looper, then you can bounce it to a sample, whatever, like there's, there's ways yeah. around it. But that's yeah, that's really really useful is to is to sample while while your sequence is playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I th yeah. I think that that is the main purpose of the like global audio tracks mm -hmm. is that you can have all your sequencer and your sampling and all the looping going and then be able to record like mm -hmm. over top of it. Um, yeah, I, I would think that workflow, there's right? that, and then the the ability to like say bounce a global track to a sample that sort of thing. Uh, ah, yeah. okay. Um, cause then you can do, you can do more with it. Cause you may want to chop that up. Like, so let's say I play something on my roads, you know, it might sound nice as, as a straight piece of audio, but then if I go and chop it up, then I can really mess with it too, you know? Um, right. So that kind of stuff gets, gets useful. Yeah. So like internal bouncing the global audio tracks to a sample. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh? Yeah. And, so, and but, I think you'd use the global audio tracks like that. I could easily see the reason I tilted my camera down is just, you know, mm -hmm. if, if whoever might follow me on Instagram knows what my setup looks like right now. But mm -hmm. the idea of having whatever the sampler is sitting right here and then next to, you know, the sound source for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to be able to sequence those things, however I'm sequencing the, the voices and immediately capture the loop and throw it into the sequence and move on and continue quickly sequencing and capturing sequencing and capturing if it, whatever that workflow looks like the idea of being able to quickly do that and throw it into the sequence 
the audio, capturing the audio of whatever. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know if you can um for different um, <clears throat> melody? I could have like an arp and um, you know some other something and a bass line all coming from this setup over here, and I want to be able to capture each one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> really in there. Now, depending yeah. on your setup, it, it's on you whether or not you need to mute other things and do other things, uh, whatever the case is. But whatever's going into this joint and being able to monitor audio, whatever's going into the sampler, I want to be able to capture it quick, throw it on a uh, into a sequence on a pad, and move on. Do you know? Do you know if you can actually? Um, my voice crack was great. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm 42 or 41, still going through puberty. It's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> do you know if you can can you sample with effects on it do you know if you can run the samples through through effects and then print that to I the sample feel like i just saw that on here hold on if i feel like i saw something similar that may have said that but i was scrolling fast but i'm sorry i'll let you guys answer that oh yeah so right now we have like 30 our like the list of effects is like about 30 we haven't released the list of effects yet um that has been like one of the biggest things that has been requested is this idea of like yeah we want to be able to basically you know record something apply an effect then re-render that as mm -hmm. like as a sample um so yeah that's definitely something that we should consider and will be on like internal uh yep. like internal lists in terms of like need to know features and that's like this is why we do kickstarter this is why we do the facebook group this is why we do podcasts like this because it's just like a whole understanding the whole picture of it and what people need and what you know just turning down that camera right and showing us this is where it's going to be on the desk Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is so critical for us to make a device that really works. So one, one right other thing that I, I want to touch base on is um, in the age of longer samples, one thing that's mm -hmm. really useful is being able to do a, a feature that comes from like the, the NPCs, which is play from X. So you can set um, like play before X and play from X so that essentially you can set your cursor and then you can say, I just want to hear after where my cursor is. I mm. just want to hear before where my cursor is, whatever. Right. Because that allows you like, let's say I have, you know, a 15 second sample and I'm just trying to trim this one piece and yeah, I can look at the waveform and I'm like, I know that that's a snare. I know that that's a kick. What the hell is that? And I just want to hurry up and go to that and be like, okay, this is the piece that I need to trim. You don't have that, to keep you know? playing the whole sample. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it just saves so much time. Oh. Another, another thing is too, sort of related, but a little tangential, um, is, you know, capturing loops, putting loops into a sequence. Um, we know that there's a, a function of MIDI that's triggering that that loop at the start of the thing, right? But you have that loop potentially playing the entire four or eight bars. And if I do mutes, I don't want to wait around when I undo the mute. Like if I'm just muting to kind you of- You want audio mute. I want audio mute, not just MIDI mute. Because yeah. if you don't have audio mute, what will happen is when you uh, take the mute back off, that loop is not going to play until it comes yeah, back yeah. around to step one. Yep, and that's right. oh, that's one of the biggest annoyances I've ever witnessed on any machine. Like because for me, I literally play my mutes like a part of the instrument. 
when I'm, mm. you know, live arranging or whatever the case. And and I may want like a, a split second, half a, a lot mushroom. of people don't know this, but most of Corey's tracks are actually 75 bar loops. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> so, he, so he unmutes and the crowd just waits. <laughs> it becomes a John Cage performance. <laughs> yeah. You put it, and that's the case. It kind of, it is sometimes on modular, I'm capturing like a 32 bar loop. And then now I'm going to sequence different parts of the, the crescendo part, the, the sort of filtered down part. And, you know, I may drop in and say, well, for this sequence, I'm only going to use this four bars or for that sequence of this part of the song, I'll use the next four bars. And then maybe mm -hmm. I want to be able to drop out just for a count and bring it back in. <laughs> and I don't want to have to wait around to, for whatever to happen. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I know that um, that there is the parameter locking, right? And so I, I can't imagine, I mean, we'll see, cause I, I never know, but there should be some sort of like um, way to record the automation of each track, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. mute and unmute. So That's that, it. you know, it's an actual audio unmute as opposed to like a, you know, MIDI filter or something like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. A couple, a couple notes, others that notes. I'll, I'll throw in there real quick is mm -hmm. um, threshold slicing. So, um, you know, transient slicing, essentially. Um, that's always super useful. I know a lot of people are going to want um, lazy chop. I never use lazy chop, but I know a lot of people like it. So, um, and so just that's, dividing something into like 16 equal. So the audio is coming in. And as the audio is coming in, you can just tap a pad and it'll oh, add so slice points to the audio yeah, as yeah. it comes in. Um, I never that do that because it's never precise enough. For no, me. it sounds rough. Well, well you <laughs> yeah. know what I do? I actually use that, and then you know, and then you fine tune it. Yeah, then I can go back and fine tune. Yeah, I don't do that because I just look at the waveform and I'm like, I know, yeah. I know what that sounds like. <laughs> but you know what? It, it, that also is the way I've gotten around when you were saying, Ken, about when you're playing a loop and you want to be able to play from the cursor is mm -hmm. like. So you know, I guess it depends on what you yeah. doing. It could be helpful in that sense too. So you yeah. playing a loop and you're hitting the pads. It's a it's assigning those slice points, and then you could kind of go back and be like, that one needs to be tighter. You can adjust mm -hmm. it. The <laughs> other one that I use really often mm -hmm. is uh, slice by division. So like, <laughs> let's say you you sample something up, you can set however many bars you've sampled, and then you can slice it to a division eighth notes, sixteenth notes, whatever yeah. it is. Um, and with the with the time stretching aspect of it, um, being able to then say, okay, I have here's my loop, right? And I've I've truncated it properly to where it's a it's, it's a good loop. Now I can then go and I can either time stretch it by BPM, or I can time stretch it by percentage, or I can pitch shift it by BPM, or I can pitch shift it by you know semitones. Hmm. So those those sorts of things are always really useful. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of the like really nitty gritty utility stuff mm -hmm. for like taking taking samples and fitting that within your, you know, especially for loops, being able to fit that properly within your within your composition. This yep. isn't very interesting. Yeah, I think uh, I think this video, this recording, will be useful for us to kind of you know uh understand some of those features i might ask uh, ken at some point if you could send me a video of that kind of play from cursor sure, or Corey, sure. Mm -hmm. so that i fully can you know because i can kind of yep. understand it but like 
especially no, no, you know, I, yeah, I, I can show game from English to Japanese. Sometimes having the clarity of like what that feature is that makes uh, is make or break of whether or not it gets implemented. <laughs> yep, yep. So, no, I fully, I fully understand that. Believe me. It's uh, but yeah, I mean, just looking at the layout of the thing, you know, you you start looking at it, and I'm like, okay, so there's some really cool stuff that you can do there as far as like just a portable a portable box where you have this the step sequencing and live sequencing and and easy to tweak per step that kind of thing. I like I like the size of it. It's, yeah, I like the the size of it. And I like that how they hold it in 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 hand like that. I think that's kind of cool. The one thing I'm thinking though is the 15 pads because that makes sense for you know if you're doing key notes and stuff. But typically with a sample, you're gonna have those divisions of four and, and four, eight, sixteen. Right. Yeah. So like when you do uh, like a slice, like if you have a sample, you say divide mm. it sixteen. Uh, parts, then where you you might want to give some thought to okay, then where's that extra slice going to go? Because most it, people, it does make me it does make me think that maybe maybe there's potential for doing like an alternate thing where if you're in a division slice mode or something, you can have the sequencer pads of of like one through sixteen be yeah. you know double as slice selection or something to that effect. Oh, I see what you're saying. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of 16 pads for, um, you know, really eight and then 16, because, you know, it, those are the divisions that I oftentimes will slice my loops to right. and then, um, and then play them back. However, but, uh, I always, um, hmm. give a certain somebody some, some trash about a certain sampler that only had 12 pads that drives me nuts, but <laughs> and it, it was portable also. So if you're watching, you know who I'm talking to. Can <laughs> no. let the beat thing die. Let it's it die. not. It's not beat thing. It's not beat thing. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a proponent of the beat thing. I think that that thing was ahead of its time, and I think people, it was ahead of its time. It was people a, look back on that a little harshly because of certain factors that I would agree with, but I think that that thing was ahead of its time. Yeah, I wish we um, could have seen seen version two of that thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, so that's I, one of those things that they those are just some some points, man. But you know, me and Ken are always around. You all can always uh find us and you know. Well, I, I wanted to touch on one other thing because I I I was working at an office setting up computer monitors and I went into my podcast app and I found the B-Boy Tech podcast. Um and uh so a lot of the older episodes were in there and um there's an episode that I listened to with Stony. I, I don't know if they're still doing this, but it was right when they were launching the Pyramind uh, mm -hmm. like mentorship program. And um, I was, I, I think it was interesting listening to that podcast and like thinking about how useful it is to have somebody who's like, you know, a little more established with their career or has, not even more established, but like has figured out a workflow, right. Mm -hmm. For recording music. And, um, I think that's also like, in some ways it's a similar thing that's happening here. Right. We're mm -hmm. trying to find people who have a workflow and then think about, okay, how do we, how do we fit in that? You know? Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, so I was curious, like, is that program still going or I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure. 
Yeah. 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 Pyramine's still around and, and um, I'm pretty positive. Stoney's still doing uh, Pyramine stuff as well. Yeah. She's still a mentor with Pyramine. She has all kinds of people that she mentors and teaches through that program. So yeah. sweet, sweet. So yeah. Anybody, anybody who's looking out, first of all, get your podcast app. Listen to those old episodes of B-Boy Tech Report. I'll tell you, it's nuts. I think, I think I also still have the old stuff from before when we started the, the B-Boy Tech Report, we had, uh, the producers hangout and Corey's on a bunch of those episodes with me as well. And that's like, that's even further back. Yeah, and there's like, further back. God, there's probably like another 30 episodes of that. <laughs> yep. And just so for anybody that's used to, you know, I'm glad you brought that up to Evan and, and anybody that's uh, checking us out and wish that we on, didn't only do YouTube. I'm actually, my daughter's going to be interning for me this summer as she's going to, I think we got up to 25 episodes on, uh, you know, Apple podcasts. And, Sweet. And on, uh, but on and on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. But this summer, my daughter's gonna actually take on the task of getting the other sixty or so episodes and anything going forward up on Sweet. podcast apps, so that you know she's just gonna ex- extract the audio from these things, and then they'll they'll all be there. So yeah. Well, that. it's cool too because like one of the episodes I watched was like, "What was your favorite gear from like?" 2017 and i was like whoa this is like a really interesting time slice of like oh yeah the mini log came out and people were freaking hyped on the mini log or i still like, am I, I was actually looking at those things the other day like man i, I miss mine mm-hmm. i sold mine for a profit too and i'm like i did too and i regret that oh i should have done that no, no no i don't i don't work no i i bought it for like four i sold it for like shoot like almost seven because they cord couldn't get it's anymore true. for they, a while they, so. they, they experienced I don't regret it. <laughs> 2020 2021 of uh, uh supply chain shortage in 2017 on that <laughs> <particular> instrument <laughs> That's right, man. All yeah. of a they were going for all kinds of crazy money i was like i could go with the profit of this thing. <laughs> let's, let's, let's bring in the uh, yeah cork cork sources parts four years in the future <laughs> yes, yeah there it is <laughs> that was yeah that was foretelling what we were about to go through that was that was our dry run no doubt no doubt that was that was good stuff man so yeah i'm glad you brought that up man. it's cool that you went back and looked at that stuff and hey i'm glad that you all came on to the show i'm excited about i'm glad to be able to put people up on you know, the, the XFM, um, glad to learn more about it and be able to have a conversation. And I'm really happy to see you all bring in a, a new sample of the market. You know, That's um, there was times when we've had people on the show from different companies, the even a couple of the big three companies who I can remember maybe four or five years back when they would say, you never know, we might do so. We would be asking them, bring back a new version of your classic, whatever, whatever. And they'll be like, I don't know, that market is weird. And we don't, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah. We might bring something if the market picks up. This interesting thing happening here. There's all these very PC sort of answers to say, we don't fuck with that no more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, we're yeah. always excited to see new samples coming to market. So this is exciting stuff, man. Glad yeah. you want to talk about it. 
Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming on. Yeah. It no was, problem. Yeah. And it's well, always great to talk to you, Evan, because uh, yeah, we met we met on the Nam floor as well. Yep. Well, I had watched your stuff before then, just like on YouTube. Like that—that's kind of the cool thing about my job is I get to like meet people whose videos I watch and who's like taught me stuff. And like same thing with Chris. I was like, I remember I was like in my little like basement apartment watching like Chris's videos and like being like, oh, he's got all this gear that's been repaired. It's all like rigged together. And like you know, I think that was like formative for me. And I mean, it's a it's a small family it around is. here. So yeah. being able to pull different people in and be able to like connect the community. Yeah, that's, and... the, that's the dope thing about community, man. So that's, that's what's real dope. I, I met Corey on the, on the show floor too. He yeah. ran up on yeah. me all crazy. eyed. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I was excited. I just got an incredibly dope video and I, you know, it was funny. He, here's the motion that, okay, I, I'll just do this. The, the guy that I filmed at Nam was showing me uh -huh. something and he did this. With, with the thing that he said, and he was talking. And so I was miming that when I ran up and met Ken. And I was like, yeah, I did this thing like this. And I know Ken was looking at me like, who are you? I, I just remember looking at Joe like, you vouch for this dude? <laughs> that's, that's, that's my guy. That's my bro now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing at Nam, right? You have somebody come up, you recognize one person, then somebody's next to them, and you don't recognize them. But yeah. actually, you know, it's like, oh, they're the drummer for Aerosmith. And you're yeah, like, that's what it is, that kind of thing, no doubt. Glad I always just hung really close to Joe because Joe was recognizable, and I look like just everybody else that was there. So. <laughs> you got to so put some on your glasses, right? So you see. <laughs> that's, that's the that's the key, man. That's the key. I'm just gonna tattoo yeah, my face. Like tattoo. I'm just going to get, I'm just going to get like 16 pads across my face or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, 16 I, pads I, and a steppy filter right? knob over here. Yeah. <laughs> got something out of that day. I got a, a new group of friends because that video that I was just talking about was about the Mellotron and the dude showed the tapes out of the Mellotron. He basically uh, tore down yeah. a Mellotron to show me on camera. And because it was my first NAM, the audio yeah. was working. And so I never got a chance to use that footage. And, and it was such an incredible time. The actual dude that owns the place was breaking this thing down to the bolts <laughs> to show wow. me every bit of the innards. And I didn't turn on the audio. So uh, perfect. <laughs> well done. Well done. Absolutely. And I was excited. That's still burning my brand. That's what I, the first conversation I had with Ken and the guys, like, I just met a dude with the melodrama. He pulled a thing up, all oh, like this, all the tape, everything, and talking and talking and talking. And I got back to my hotel room later. I was like, no. <laughs> I think I think the worst the worst Nam video I did was um, when the MS Twenty Mini came out. I was all excited and I ran up to it. And I started messing with it, and I guess my hand had hit it or something. But I had the high pass filter up like quarter of the way. And I was like, this thing ain't got no bass. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was, I was hot about it. Like I was not, I was really upset. Cause I was like, this doesn't sound like MS 20, but it was like, there was so much moving around me. And I only had like, like 30 seconds to like hop in there get my video real quick. Cause yeah, when we would go to Nam, we would yank, the people's cords out and shove them into our gear and like without permission or anything yeah. <laughs> just to get the direct you gotta yeah get th this was this was back when it was like if you weren't sound on sound like you 
you know, you really mm. needed to set the appointment up and you weren't getting that stuff. So I was just like running up there, just Rambo style, just jacking stuff up. <laughs> and I shot this video and I posted it and I didn't even realize that I had, I had turned the, the, um, the, the high pass up to like, you know, darn near 12 o'clock. And you like, I was like, there's no base on this thing. It's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> No doubt, no doubt. I, mean, I took it down. I took it down as soon as I realized what I had done. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> no doubt. Well, hey, we'll, we'll take it right there, man. I, like I said, I appreciate you guys coming on. We appreciate you. You always got a place to come to discuss new gear and, and all Thanks, that fun stuff. Uh, looking forward to uh, sample trek coming to to market too, man. So, yeah, stuff. man. Looking forward to it. And for everybody out there, be sure to subscribe, like, so we can keep the content coming. Um, I know, I know, some people have hit me up and like, why don't you do this weekly? Well, you know, there's a lot going on, and we try to do it as often as possible. I like to do it, you know, uh, weekly, but you know, I really like to do it every other week. But most times, we get a chance to do it every month at least. And sometimes it might be <laughs> a little more. Often. We have lives. <laughs> yeah, there's stuff going on, so we'll do it as often as we can. So more importantly, we have wives, and they will beat we us. Have wives and wives and kids. Yeah. And such. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, thanks for checking it out. This has been it. All right, peace. <laughs>